Welcome to the Kaiju Network Podcast, episode 126, where we have a very healthy obsession with Kaiju. I am your co-host, Kent, and with me is your other co-host, Jason. How's it going, peeps? So, I am dressed appropriately for this particular podcast, and for those of you who uh, may not be aware of sort of the main topic of discussion uh, this particular episode, just look at my shirt. And for those of you listening to the audio version, unfortunately you can't see it, so I will just say I am wearing a Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla 2 t-shirt. And I think for the first time ever, and again, if you're listening to the audio version, you're not going to see it, I am wearing official Daikaiju Network gear, the hat, the logo on the side, a <laughs> 1990s hip-hop artist. There's the sort of the third DKN logo. And then on the back, we got a Destroy All Monsters looking type logo with our name on it. It's official. It's all stitched, high quality stuff. <laughs> Very you know, uh, expensive to make, but <laughs> you know, I was just thinking um, here recently. I know in the past that we've done some uh, contests and everything, and I was thinking about coming up with another contest with maybe some of our uh, gear, like a T-shirt, and then maybe like a little promotional type of uh, trinkets. I'll I can probably show you some of the stuff uh, later on whenever if we. Uh, like after the we get done with the pod, uh, podcast episode here and maybe add in like um, other things from G-Fest this year, like like we've done in the past and everything. But uh, yeah, probably not make hats from the place that we <laughs> that you ordered it from, but probably from a, a cheaper place or something like that. I don't that. know how you can get them cheaper. <laughs> it actually wasn't bad. Uh, the only thing that made them initially expensive was that um, it cost $5 to make a design on either side, but it cost an extra, I forget, what was it? $10 or $25? I think you told me or it was $25 for $25 the- because they had to create special, not really stencils, but for lack of a better word, stencils so that they could appropriately make them on the hats. But because I ordered, I almost said two, two, um, I'm sorry, again, if you are listening to the audio version, you couldn't see that I was actually initially about ready to hold up three fingers instead of two. Um, Because I made two hats, the second hat actually was cheaper because these hats by themselves were like, I think, 20, 25 bucks. The second hat actually cost 50 to make, whereas the first one cost like a hundred or something like that to make because like I said, the stenciling part is sort of the most expensive part of each hat because of course they don't have our designs. So because they have to make some special stencils that costs a little bit more. So if that makes sense, I'm not even going to go into it because I'm just going to get confused here. First of all, too, I want to say I apologize that we didn't get the YouTube link up. So uh, we probably aren't going to have anybody 
watching us live for this show. Uh, we've been really bad about getting on top of it. I, on Wednesday, told myself when I woke up in the morning, I, as I was feeding my cats, I said, okay, got to remember like sometime today, got to get a post up saying, okay, we got a podcast just to let everyone know, hey, you know, just to give everybody a heads up. I totally forgot to do that. And then Friday, I'm like, oh shit, like I didn't, I didn't do that. I got to do it now. And then I had to create a YouTube uh, event page for this and I created it and I, cause I screwed up the last time I told Jason, I said, I want you to double check this before I post it. And he goes, yeah, I'll post it and check it when I get home. That didn't happen. Well, he checked it, but he didn't post it. And then I didn't double check to see if he posted it. So here we are. Nobody probably to talk to today, but um, that happens and that's our fault. So um, one of the things I wanted to get into, did I just pick up my drink and not actually take a drink? Yeah. And then and then another thing that I always keep forgetting to do recently, I've been doing good at getting the podcast audio versions up on the site and then. They'll be distributed out through iTunes and uh, Google Play Music. So um, if you haven't subscribed to those, make sure to do that and also subscribe to our YouTube channel down below. And um, but uh, the past few weeks, I've gotten uh, down with the uh, seasonal allergies that I usually get once or twice a year uh, last month. And then this uh uh, last week I came down with a upper respiratory type of infection. Um, and that, that also sort of screwed my, uh, schedule and everything. And then, um, and then last night I finally got around to making the audio version of our commentary. And I just recently put it up I would say just about uh, close to a half hour ago on the website <laughs> there. So, so yeah, I need to like, like you, I need to get around to try to get back to the regular schedule of things and getting things up pretty damn early. And I also uh, talked with you that I think we should um, after um, this episode or tomorrow that we should uh, schedule a uh, like a YouTube uh, live event uh, like two weeks ahead of time or something like that. So then we wouldn't have to worry about it right up until when we do our next uh, episode slash commentary. I know it's just, yeah, we're just bad about that. Um, so one of the things I wanted to dive in first, um, I wanted to talk about this five minute Godzilla IMAX trailer. Uh, I, I saw it on YouTube uh, a day or so after it came out. Uh, Jason, unfortunately, never saw it, so he really can't comment on it. Yeah. Um, and I tried looking for it on YouTube and for uh, some odd reason, at least from what we could find, YouTube doesn't have it posted. I don't even remember which uh, page or group on Facebook uh, had the video that I saw it. Um, so I'm going to be the only one that's able to comment on that uh, footage. Um, so my personal opinion from what I saw from that trailer, I mean, I guess there's not a whole lot to say other than I really loved what I saw. Um, 
it, this movie is going to be at least just from what I've been seeing from trailers and even this five minute footage, this is going to be a pretty action packed film uh, for those who thought the 2014 film was a slog. First of all, I, I think you're missing the point of, of kind of the, the pace and the, the structure of that film, unfortunately. Um, but at the same time, I think if you did not like the fact that Godzilla showed up late and, and all that, um, I think this movie will end up being the opposite of that. Um, so I think for those of you who didn't care for that, you'll be satisfied this time. Uh, King Ghidorah, I, I have to say this right off the bat, and I know some people are going to be maybe a little upset about it, but this is my opinion. You're f free to disagree with it. I think finally for the first time ever, with the exception of um, the Kaiser Ghidorah, which, yeah, is a Ghidorah, but not a King Ghidorah per se. I know I'm splitting hairs here. But really for the first time ever in terms of a King Ghidorah in the Godzilla universe. And again, I'm not even referring to the Mothra trilogy films either. We finally get a kick-ass King Ghidorah. <laughs> so this is the kind of King Ghidorah I'm willing to say, yes, this is supposed to be what Godzilla's arch nemesis is supposed to look like. Badass, powerful, and all that. And it looks like we're finally getting that here with the King Ghidorah. So I'm really excited about this version of Ghidorah. Um, this has been a long time coming, I think, for the Godzilla franchise. Like I said, yes, Kaiser Ghidorah was powerful and all that, but like I said, I'm splitting hairs. I don't consider that a King Ghidorah. So, so um, um, just want to throw a little question at you since I haven't seen this trailer yet, but I'm probably planning on seeing Shazam. So if I do, I would have to go see the IMAX version. Um, do they show any new footage that we have not seen uh, right up until this uh, new one came out? Yes, it is new footage. Um, basically, I'm just going to say right now and spoil it for people. So if you don't, you know, if you're trying to keep clean, um, well, first of all, I'm assuming you're skipping ahead anyways. But um, if you haven't, here's your chance to skip ahead a bit. Basically, what uh, what we get in the five minute trailer is sort of King Ghidorah's breakout. And okay. um, I forget the actor's name, but he's the the football coach in Friday Night Lights. Uh, I forget the actor's name. Um, but yeah, King Ghidorah is breaking out under the ice and people are collapsing, uh, you know, as the ice is being destroyed and all that. Uh, it's a very uh, visually impressive scene, very entertaining. Um, but yeah, and, and we see King Ghidorah uh, kind of break out here. So um it's really fun footage, quite frankly. Do you hear, uh, well, does King Ghidorah like, use his howl? And if so, does it sound familiar to I don't remember because this was, what, seven to eight days ago when I saw this. Um, so I don't remember. I'm thinking if, you, if we do, it's not like the full howl or cry. Um, I think it's maybe like a small growl or something like that. Perhaps don't quote me on that. Cause like I said, it's been like a week or so since I saw it. Um, so yeah, I, I think if there is, if it, it's not like the full fledged 
howl or cry, whatever you want to call it. Okay. So, and then two, and I don't remember all the trailers. I think maybe one of the newest trailers said this uh, from Sarazawa that there are 17 kaiju. I, and, and of course, we'll find out as we see the movie whether or not we, I'm sure we get at least glimpses of all of them. But because of the fact Godzilla, Ghidorah, uh, Rodan and Mothra are the main stars here, they're obviously probably going to get the most screen time and we'll probably get quick glimpses. But again, uh, I really don't know. I don't have answers to that question. We won't really know until we go see the film. So um just leave it at that. Um, I just have to say, though, the five-minute footage is really impressive. It's exciting. And it's something that uh, has followed along with all the trailers we've seen up to this point, which is that it's looking to be a very action-packed film. And again, like I said, for those who thought um, the 2014 film was a little bit of a slog, I think this will be the exact opposite of that. So it's looking to be a lot of fun. Yeah. And uh, recently I've been watching at least a few videos uh, the past few days saying uh, what's going to come of the whole MonsterVerse thing once uh, Godzilla vs. Kong wraps up in uh, 2020. And some of them, and one of the head guys at um, Legendary or is somewhat of a producer or something like that, saying that they're only focusing on the current ones right now like one at a time but just from the sounds of it that it could at least be somewhat promising that they could at least keep uh going with the monster verse like maybe uh, have toho extend like the contract or licenses and things like that but uh like they've they were just kind of uh somewhat given their own uh thoughts of what might come about if if that ever happens or some some sort but uh at least we knew know that uh toho has planned like a world of godzilla cinematic universe like one of their uh head guys like in a interview or something like that uh, last year or in 2017 that they were thinking about doing their own cinematic universe with all their monsters, with their own movies and stuff. But uh, it's it was kind of interesting to see some of these uh, videos the last few days uh, sprout up of what would come of this uh, legendary monster <coughs> after Godzilla vs. Kong. Yeah, I think um, I think a lot's going to be dependent on various um, various things. One, of course, is going to be money. Are, how, how profitable are these final two films in this trilogy going to be? That's going to be one of the big driving factors. A second one is like you were talking about Toho contracts, because um, Toho, I don't think they've been saying they don't really want to be competing with these Hollywood films um, because they don't want to saturate it. And they themselves know that Hollywood is going to be making something more snazzier than they are. And they don't want to be losing money off of their own produced Godzilla films. Um, So there's, there's that and just kind of what, plans does Toho themselves have and sort of their timetable if they do have movies in the works or plan to do 
when are they looking to produce and release them? Um, and another thing is that part of me is thinking that if we were to get a continuation or something of the sort of the MonsterVerse, my theory is that if we were to get something, it'll be another three to five year wait before we get a fourth film. I'm not, I'm not, I'm even going to say right now, even if we were to get more, um, I don't think they're going to be sequels to these first three. I think they could be something totally different, like almost a clean slate, like starting from scratch again. And I'm not saying they're going to have like another solo Godzilla movie or something like that. Uh, but I think they'll end up doing something that will be different. Like they still may use the same Godzilla model perhaps and maybe tweak it here and there like they did with this film. Mm. But my guess is that it's not going to be tied in with this. That's just a theory of mine. Um, but who knows? I mean, they may continue to make sequels, but my guess is because you got one movie coming out this year and then you got Kong next year. Um, my guess is that depending upon what Toho wants to do, how profitable these films are, and if everything seems to be okay, even if Toho doesn't have anything in the works for the next five years, I still think Hollywood, Warner Brothers Legendary, is still going to wait another five years because I don't think they want to saturate because they're going to be like, look, we got one this year and next year. We don't want to be doing it every year to the point to where we see diminishing returns. People are going to get tired of this. We don't want to be doing that. So I think they, if we do, if they do something, it's going to be like another five year wait. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, you were going to say something? Um, nope. Okay, so let's move on to uh, dabbling a little bit into the Ultraman anime. Uh, how many episodes have you seen so far? I've seen all of them. Which it's, is what, six or eight? Uh, I think it was 12. Oh, 12. 12. 12. I've only seen two. Okay. I've only seen two. Yeah, I, I watched at least one uh, this past Saturday and then watched the rest of them. Um, uh, this past Sunday uh, here and I would have to say it follows a lot of uh, the manga from what I've seen I've only read up to uh, chapter 21 when they were when uh, uh, several years ago before it officially came over here you know reading it on the uh, internet and stuff. They only went up to uh, chapter 21 at the time and they haven't really updated since, but I've at least got um, one uh, volume of the manga itself. I haven't bothered to getting more of them. I've been wanting to, but I always keep forgetting. I think I might have one, one or two volumes of the uh, the Ultraman manga, and from from what I've seen so far, it's really good. It basically it um, for those of you that might have seen this or have haven't seen it, this whole the summary of it is that it uh, takes place uh, after the original events of the original Ultraman, but then uh, skips about uh, ten or so years. Um, after that's when the main story uh, picks up and begins. 
Yeah, uh, I keep forgetting this is based off the manga. I haven't read the manga. Um, like I said, I've only seen two episodes, so I haven't seen the whole thing. Um, let's kind of just dive into our impressions of, of this. Uh, who wants to go first? Um, I can probably go f- uh, first. Um, my initial, uh, I would say response or reaction um, after watching the uh, entire first season of Ultraman. It's uh, it, it's really good and how it picks up from uh, the original events of the original Ultraman. Um, how, uh, the one thing though, some is my little gripe on this is that if feels like you know when you go from 1966 but then it like 10 so years after it feels like you're quickly in the modern day uh part of the story which it's so a little bit confusing there here and there but um you'll you'll easily uh get by all that um the the uh, the animation is pretty good, although there are some areas where the animation could have uh, been better, um, and I think worked on a little bit more. There's some instances where it felt like um, that they didn't do a whole lot uh, to polish up uh, the episodes in certain areas. Uh, the story is really good. I like how they still have some of, like, at least a couple of the original characters in there, like Hayata, and then that one uh, crazy inventor there. I, I always forget his name. Um, what's that? Ito? Yeah, Ito. Yeah. And then we get, uh, was it Hayata's son? Uh, was it uh, Shijiro? Um Shinjiro. Shinjiro, yeah. I always butcher the names. Um, but, uh, yeah, the story uh, with these uh, characters is pretty good. Um, the universe is pretty good. And and also, it's, it's pretty interesting in how they're going about with, like, some of these aliens and uh, the monsters. They're not, they're not quite as big as they were. Uh, from the original events it's like they're just mainly the monsters have shrunken down to almost like the human like size but I would say a little bit bigger uh, of sorts and yeah it's it's a really good show uh, for what it is I would say um, at least uh, take some more time on uh, polishing the the animation of the show to make it look uh, much better. Um, the dubbing is pretty good. And um, let's see. And the story, uh, story is uh, pretty good. I think there are some changes here and there from, from what I've seen, but I think it uh, fits for what the show is doing. But uh, yeah, my, my only little gripe from here and i hope that they uh do it is polish and take more time on the uh the animation portion 
Okay. Um, like I said, I've only seen two episodes of this. And um, so my opinion isn't necessarily set in stone. Uh, but I will say this. After watching only the first two episodes of this a new anime i have to agree with jason that i think the anime i mean excuse me the animation um could be better however i understand why the animation probably is what it is it's computer because um animators uh, in japan are very overworked and some have died because they're stressed out and working all the time so computer technology obviously is quicker and easier to use after you build the initial models so that way they can get the stuff out quicker so um the animation is passable it's okay um i have to say though overall yeah i i i find that the story number one is sort of a continuation of the 66 66 um show i find that interesting um uh because i'm a huge fan of that one and at the same time again i don't want to disappoint anybody from what i'm about to say because again i've only just seen the first two episodes i don't like what i'm seeing um i'm not joking when i say that about two or three minutes into the second episode i kid you not i fell asleep and i woke up like towards the end of that episode um i don't like what i'm seeing because um it reminds me too much of iron man um whether or not that's going to change i don't know because again i've only seen two episodes um but i just I, I just don't like that aspect and i and i know i'm on this podcast and i've always told people you know like because i'm a huge 98 godzilla fan and i'm always like well you know it's something different they're trying something different um and that's fine i give them an a for effort for doing something different here my problem though is that it mimics iron man too close um and i don't like that um so Right now, I'm not a huge fan of this Ultraman anime. Um, the suit and everything looks okay. Um, and all that. I just hope, and I will go back and I'll watch the other 10 episodes and just kind of see how this unfolds. Um, but I'm not a fan right now. Uh, because if this is by and large going to be sort of an Iron Man esque Ultraman, I'm not going to buy into it. Uh, I, again, I will give them an A for effort and doing something a little bit different. Um, but I just am not digging it right now. I'm not, I didn't think the first two episodes pulled me in to the story all that much. Uh, one of the goofiest things I saw, and I can't, I think it was. Was it an episode? Yeah, I think it was an episode two where Hayata pulled a wrestling move on this evil Ultraman where he stood him up vertically, held him there for a moment, and then crashed down onto the ground like what you see wrestlers do. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just am like, that's weird. And it, the fighting reminded me of a cross between a WWE match and Mortal Kombat. And I like Mortal Kombat. I thought the Mortal Kombat-esque 
uh, ness of the of those fights uh, was actually quite entertaining to watch. But overall, I'm not liking what I'm seeing. So um, mm. again, I will finish up at some point the other ten episodes. Uh, hopefully, I will change my mind on that. But like I said, right now I'm not digging it. So that's what I have to say. Yeah, it's it's understandable, and then. And like what you mentioned, it r- reminds you of all, uh, Iron Man. I can see a little bit of that, uh, to be honest, now now that you um, mentioned it. And the suit, uh, it also is kind of reminiscent towards that a little bit. Maybe, maybe in the head it's a, a little, little bit. It's too much like Iron Man for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, understandable. And so with that, let's dive into 1993's Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla, or as it's known here in the States, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 2. Um, did you want to say anything about the movie before we dive into a plot overview, or do we want to go ahead and just dive right in? Uh, let's just go ahead and dive right in. All right, so here's the plot overview of Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 2. Japan's counter-G Bureau, a.k.a. G-Force, salvages Mecha King Ghidorah to construct a new weapon to fight Godzilla called Mechagodzilla. Kazuma Aoki, who works on the Garuda Project, the first part of a counter-Godzilla weapon series, is transferred to G-Force to work on being a pilot for Mechagodzilla. <laughs> Excuse me. On a geological trip to Adona Island, and it is believed the scientists discovered a pteranodon's egg. Rodan shows up to attack the camp. Godzilla surfaces shortly after, and the two kaiju battle it out. Godzilla ends up defeating Rodan by burying it under boulders and earth. The dried foliage found around the egg was discovered to create a high-pitched sound that caused the egg to glow red and to eventually hatch. The creature that hatches isn't a pteranodon, but a baby Godzillasaurus. Godzilla makes landfall and Mechagodzilla sent into action. The two exchange blows and it appears Mechagodzilla eventually gets the upper hand. However, Godzilla is able to send some of Mechagodzilla's energy back and is able to disable the mech, continuing its march towards finding baby Godzilla in Kyoto. When Godzilla arrives in Kyoto, he realizes he can't retrieve baby Godzilla without hurting or killing it, so he heads back to the sea. Baby Godzilla is moved to a sanctuary and repairs begin on Mechagodzilla. Aoki, due to having disobeyed orders by not helping in the piloting Mechagodzilla during the battle with Godzilla, is transferred back to the Garuda Project. A new, well, actually, he's a parking attendant, but ends up working on the Garuda Project in secret. A new plan called G-Crusher is in the works. Its intent is to disable Godzilla's second brain near the hips to paralyze it. Miki Sagusa is recruited to locate the second brain. It's also determined that baby Godzilla would be used to lure Godzilla to the Ogasawara Islands in order to implement the plan. Children from Miki's school of telepathy arrive at the sanctuary to sing baby Godzilla the, quote, song, unquote, the dried foliage, quote, sang, unquote. The song instead irritates baby Godzilla, but off on Adona Island, it awakens and transforms Rodan into Fire Rodan. What's the difference? Fire Rodan can shoot a beam from his mouth. That's it. Rodan begins making its way to Japan. 
Baby Godzilla is placed in a container to be taken to the Ogasawara Islands, but the container he was placed in is intercepted by Rodan. Rodan begins to try and break open the container. Mechagodzilla is brought into action, and it and Fire Rodan do battle. Eventually, Mechagodzilla blasts a gaping hole in Rodan's chest, leaving the flying reptile to die amongst the rubble of the city. Godzilla shows up, and it starts battling Mechagodzilla, and they go back and forth, exchanging blows. During the battle, Mickey Sagusa reluctantly locates the second brain in Godzilla and disables it. Mechagodzilla assaults Godzilla to the point of death. With the last bit of energy, Rodan flies towards the lifeless body of Godzilla and transfers his energy to Godzilla, resurrecting him. With renewed strength and energy, Godzilla fires a more powerful beam at Mechagodzilla. Godzilla then brings the mech into a burning hulk of metal. The container is eventually open, and Godzilla convinces Baby Godzilla to go with him back to Adona Island. The two swim off as the movie comes to a close. So before we actually get into uh, the discussion of the movie, I just want to bring up a couple of historical pieces of information. Um, so for those who are not familiar with this film and maybe uh, some of its history, uh, this movie was originally supposed to be the last Heisei Godzilla film due to TriStar releasing their own Godzilla movie in 1994 that was supposed to be directed by Jan DeBont. But of course, that fell through for various reasons. And the story of this movie was originally going to be a remake of King Kong versus Godzilla, but Toho couldn't acquire the rights to Kong. So they thought about a Godzilla versus Mechanicong film where G-Force would be inserted into Godzilla like parasites and they would try to destroy him from within. But again, due to the name and likeness of Kong, Toho couldn't follow through on that idea either. So, um... That those ideas were brought in due to um, sort of being a, a big anniversary film, and because uh, it was the 20th Godzilla film, also uh, Ishiro Honda would end up passing in 1993 in this film. Uh, terms of trying to make it a, a King Kong versus Godzilla remake was supposed to, in a roundabout way, honor Honda as well, but. Like I said, rights to Kong couldn't be purchased. So we ended up with Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. Um, Which I think it was a good choice. I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to a King Kong remake. Of course, now we're getting it next year. Yeah. So I guess it doesn't matter now, but it would have been interesting. But yeah, I... Mechagodzilla is a good choice. Um, right off the bat, though, I noticed the score and theme to this movie. Uh, without a doubt, this entire score is one of Ifukube's best. Mm -hmm. The score is one pounding theme after another, but it also showcases more of Ifukube's ability to be more versatile in his score, something that's not been on display that often when he has scored a Godzilla movie. And I also like the uh, the opening uh, to Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 2, where uh, basically we're... Uh, in Reintroduced once again to uh, the middle head of Mecha King Ghidorah, where they extracted it from the ocean there and brought it into a base. Uh, and what they say, reverse engineering all the technology from that head uh, itself and basically turning like all their 
reverse engineering into what we know as uh, Mechagodzilla, uh, the weapon and everything. And it's basically just can't somewhat goes uh, right into action and showing us all of that, even through the uh, the the title card and uh, the credits and everything. I, I like how this uh, movie opened uh, from uh, the head uh, of Mecha King Ghidorah in the base and then showing right up to the the completion of Mechagodzilla. Yeah, I mean, uh, we get a quick exposition basically uh, describing what's going on. Uh, typically, exposition, I think I, I don't have as much of an issue with expositions like some uh, movie reviewers do. Some movie reviewers absolutely hate them. Others are in the middle of the road about them. I think exposition, if you can't, I, I think there's always a way you could sort of avoid exposition if you're willing to take the time to uh, write the story properly like you could have characters in the film kind of uh, through passing comments or what have you talk about what's going on Um, but at the same time I think sometimes either for budget reasons because maybe you can't film uh some extra scenes or whatever i think especially if it's short enough and to the point i think exposition is fine um and i like it here i mean it is short exposition it basically says you know the year is 1992 and they uh, are creating a new godzilla weapon mecha godzilla from the remains of mecha king Ghidorah, and that's basically kind of about it as far as what they say uh mm-hmm. and then otherwise the rest of it is just visuals so i actually would like to play a snippet of the theme here uh of the movie we can play uh technically 30 seconds of it without having to be in trouble so uh- like I'd, to play a snippet here. I probably wouldn't want to do it. <laughs> to I'm honest. doing it. I would say at least do 10 seconds of it. Okay. Because this is one of my favorite things. Oh, shoot. I haven't muted. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I think that's good. So, that's basically the theme throughout this uh, entire movie here. And I'm going to just say this right now. I do like a lot of uh, Ifukube's music um, throughout the entire Godzilla series. And I know I have been a little bit critical in recent episodes when we've talked about him because I've always said he's never really been able to show how versatile he can be. Um, I started thinking about it when I saw this movie and I kind of wonder if part of the problem could be uh, the writing of some of these films that they don't give Ifuku Bay enough scenes to potentially dive into different types of music. Um, that could be part of it. And I think, yeah, that, that could be part of the problem. Um, because the more I think about, like, just quickly running through my head some of the films 
he's scored, I'm realizing, yeah, like he just maybe hasn't been given enough of an opportunity to appropriately uh, write certain music. However, at the same time, there are a couple films I can even think of uh, off the top of my head where he could have showed more versatility, but chose not to. So... I would say it'd be a little bit of both. The blame goes to both parties is what I'm going to say. And I'm not saying again, I'm not saying Ifukube is a bad composer, far from it. I'm just saying I wished at least with these Godzilla films, he would have shown more versatility with his talents because he is good. It's just that majority of the time he chose not to show that versatility. It really wasn't until though this film and destroy it. These final two Godzilla movies he would ever score that he finally showed more versatility. Again, I think part of that is due to the stories of these two films um, in which he is given material to basically say, okay, this is a part of a story in which a particular character or Kaiju is doing this. This is the kind of music we need for this or, um, you know, this part like Godzilla's death and destroy you actually want that to be more somber. Um, I have to say his theme, though, for this film, I think it's his best theme. I would have to I say so, better. too, and I think everyone else would probably would agree with that. I don't think so. I think most people would say his Godzilla theme is the best, and that's fine. I do like that, too. But I like this one better um, because, as you just heard, it's really it just it gets the blood pumping and at the same time especially with the title card when this movie opens it's so badass because it tells you right off the bat this is going to be an intense film and it is kind of an intense film um of course they're going for a general audience so there's not going to be as much brutality in it as there would be if Toho decided, okay, this is going to be for a mature audience. But um, it's still kind of a brutal film when you compare it with some of the others um, in the Heisei era and even some of the films in the Showa series and really, quite frankly, even in the Millennium era mm-hmm. as well. It's a little bit more brutal in its contents. And I've always said that Mechagodzilla, in my mind, is Godzilla's arch nemesis because this is a kaiju or a mech. And it shows a good example within this film as the reason why he should be more of Godzilla's nemesis. Well, and even in his his debut film, Mm -hmm. he showed it too. Um, Just the brutality that this machine is able to deliver really just about every time it comes into contact with Godzilla. Um... And that is followed through. It's a very rousing, intense march or theme that uh, is really quite beautiful. I mean, words can't even begin to describe how wonderful just that theme alone is. And um, Ifukube's score for the remainder of the film is very appropriate. We get a nice sort of female vocal uh, type scene uh, when the children come and visit Baby Godzilla in the sanctuary later on, um, we even get, um, well, and qu- actually, quite frankly, that same uh, piece of music is played at the very end of this film. 
Um, and then you get some interesting music like for Garuda, for example. Um, there is just much more versatility to Ifuku Bay's score this time around than what we got even in Godzilla vs. Mothra and Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah, the two films before this. And this, in my opinion, is one, if not his best scores for a Godzilla film. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, it it just shows his versatility. And at the same time too, just the music really from top to bottom is magic. (laughs) (laughs) And it also gives that um, serious tone. There's, there's not a whole lot of the cheesy moments there. At least there is that, uh, a couple of them here and there, but they're not as um, in your face compared to some of the others in the past. Uh, hey, say Godzilla movies up right up to this particular film here. Yeah, you must know my notes because that was like the second point I have written on here is about the tone of the film. Magic. Um, I. <laughs> I mean, I agree with you. I, I think the movie takes is definitely more of a serious tone this time, despite, yeah, some of the goofiness. But the movie does a good job of separating those moments because it could be a tonal mess if they weren't careful about handling it. But it's not a right. mess. And like you said, they don't go overboard with the cheesiness or the goofiness in this film. Uh, like we talked about with Godzilla versus King Ghidorah, that movie, when it tried to be funny, went too far. But even then, there were many moments that were unintentionally funny. You were laughing at the film instead of with it. And mm-hmm. that was one of the films, I mean, excuse me, one of the issues I had with that film was that the tone <laughs> was confusing. It was sort of, it was not to be succinct about it, it was not handled well. Um, that film, in terms of its tone, just was not written well. Um, and not even filmed well either, quite frankly. Well, and, and then some of these subplots to that film just felt like um, a bit unintentional. And the way that they were going about it with certain characters I know that we've discussed about in certain areas it it just made things much more confusing here and there right up until the very end it's like why didn't you say this to begin with instead of uh just not mentioning about it beforehand yeah and i don't mean uh, you know we'll get right back on talk topic here in just a second but yeah i mean like i said in our review of that movie here like a month or so ago um that movie in terms of its tone and really just its story it's a mess um this one is one of the better written godzilla films not just of the heisei era but even throughout the entire series and um i this this is head and shoulders above you know king Ghidorah, quite frankly so but as far as the tone yeah definitely more serious but at the same time it's not overly serious because again toho is like we want this you know we want to attract the kids we can't be too bloody we can't be too scary but at the same time it's more intense uh it's the most intense godzilla movie since by um you know because that one definitely was 
you could argue geared more towards an adult audience and same way with the film before it in the return of godzilla those two films in tone are definitely darker than this one but this one is darker than king Ghidorah and mothra so yeah uh, but it has its goofy moments um intentionally though which is the great thing but at the same time they don't they're not like the marvel movies with their comedy in which they try to hammer home a joke multiple times throughout a film they just get to the joke and that's it they leave it alone and you know that's that's that Um, yeah and kind of with the tone uh, going along with that, I like how the movie forces me to sympathize with Godzilla more, despite G-Force and Mecha Godzilla technically being the heroes here. Uh, part of that is due to the expressiveness of Godzilla when he's searching for baby Godzilla and how we feel for him during the battles. Um, but a small problem, however, is in that minor lack of expression of Godzilla due to the main suit not being able to portray some of those emotions unless they have extreme close-ups where they use the mechanical head. But that's only, I think, a couple times in this film that they do that. Um, So they do a good job. They do a better job about that that expression. But it could have been better expression if they were able to have the main suit be more expressive in the eyes because in this film the baby Godzilla suit and the Rodan marionette those two things um, are able to move their eyes Mm -hmm. but Godzilla the main suit and all these Heisei films um, except for maybe Return of Godzilla all the main suits the eyes don't the eyelids don't blink they only do that when they do the extreme close-ups and that's when they have a separate mechanical head um but that's to me has been one of the the unfortunate drawbacks to the heisei series is that they never get the main suit to be more expressive but here they do a better job than what they've done in the recent films um just because of the brutality of the battles and the fact too that it's also a result of um ifukube's score like when godzilla finally makes it to the building kyoto in which baby godzilla is being held initially just godzilla like he's kind of hitting the building a little bit but he's not smashing it because he's like i can't smash this otherwise i'm gonna kill him and Ifukube's score during this particular moment is very touching, and you can just kind of tell also with uh, Kenpachiro Satsuma as he's, you know, manipulating Godzilla, kind of like you can just kind of see like Godzilla is saying, I want to get in there, but I can't because I could kill him. And then Godzilla just kind of staggers for a moment, kind of frustrated and melancholy then he just turns around heads back and then you get this quick scene of a, a of a newspaper showing godzilla out to sea and the score of ifukube during that moment is melancholy and 
everything works well. It's Ifukube's score and Satsuma's sort of just by simple swaying and and like of the suit that helps with that sad expression. Yeah, I think I think it's just a combination of those two with uh, Satsuma portraying Godzilla and as well as Ifukube's um, score. I think both of those combined together, I think, expresses the overall feelings of Godzilla in this film. Even when you say that uh, with the suit lacking in full expressions, except for when you when they do the extreme close-ups of the the animatronic uh, head of Godzilla, I think with these two combinations, there I think fully um, mm-hmm. expresses the feelings of Godzilla. Yeah, and and again, like I said, this score is arguably Fukube's best, at least for a Godzilla film. Um, I think the only other score that might compete with it is Destroya, and I'm not going to make any sort of real conclusions until we get to that film. Uh, but and I know it's good; it definitely is. I'm just trying to figure out okay, which one is actually better. So uh, I will just wait until we get to that film. But. Um, by the way, uh, when when we are first introduced to uh, one of the main characters of the film, um, God, I'm I'm terrible with names. He's the one that uh, does uh, works on the Garuda. Um, was it? There's this. He was introduced to uh, one of the ladies there, along with uh, one of the scientists' coworkers of his. Azusa? Yeah. Do you notice that the lady there uh, will turn out to be one of the coasts, the main cast members for both Gamera 1 and 3? Oh, oh, you're talking about a different gal. Okay. Yeah, I I have noticed that before. Um, Yeah, I noticed that, gosh, I don't know how many years ago. I just I, I just I now say, like, I just now realized it. <laughs> yeah, she's only in here for like thirty seconds. But yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I did notice that like odd number of years back. Um it's kind of funny. He's sort of a nerd because he's a pteranodon enthusiast. And when he initially gets to G Force and I forget the character's name, I wanna say it's General uh Hiyoto, but I'm not exactly sure. I know it's not general asshole is what I call it <laughs> just because it's funny. Um, <laughs> but um, he is kind of an asshole actually in this film, but uh, which oh, is yeah. great. It shows that he can act really well. Um, but uh, Aoki is, uh, well, his superior is saying, you know, he's reading off his resume, you know, Pteranodon enthusiast. And Aoki goes, yes, yeah, sir. Don't you know what they are? They're small flying dinosaurs, and I'm flapping my hands here like Aoki does in the film. And it's kind of funny. I mean, he's kind of a goofy character. I like this guy. Um, he's actually the son of, um, uh, was it Taro Takashima? I think is his dad. His dad actually shows up here. Um, let me double check that, actually. His dad shows up in this movie. His dad was, uh, I think, the main guy of King Kong versus Godzilla here. Um, I keep oh. messing up the, the last name here. Let me double check that here. I knew I should have written it down. But yeah, I also liked 
uh, in the scene where they mentioned about them uh, recovering the egg uh, supposedly was Rodan, but turns out not to be the case. And uh, he's he's like, whoa, this is so cool. And then in the next scene, he drives up literally to the place where they're keeping the egg. And he just invites himself in into the yeah. uh, laboratory room there and just decides to take pictures. <laughs> well, and he steals some of the plant material, too. And he's like, oh, yeah, like some of it. <laughs> Uh, some of it uh, was stolen. It must have fallen into my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's really kind of goofy, but at the same time, it's charming. So the actor's name is Masahiro Takashima, and his father, Taro Takashima, uh, gets a brief bit in this film. And Masahiro Takashima, his brother... Uh, see if I can find his brother's name here. Um, uh, brother, Masanobu Takashima... Um, played in Godzilla vs. Biolane. Okay. Um, and I think his brother actually died. The funny thing is that they both looked very much alike. It's just that Masahiro is slightly, I don't want to say chubbier because that's not appropriate. Uh, he's just a little bit bigger in, in, in physicality. Mm. Um, let's see. Masanobo. Years active. I thought he died. Let me, or is it this guy that? No, none of them died. That's that's good though. <laughs> that's good. I thought, I thought his brother died. Um, I don't know the, where you uh, heard about that news. I don't know. I, it was a number of years ago. I was just like, if something just kept sticking with me that, you know, he. Uh, that his brother um, died, but it's just like that. Obviously, is not, not the true. case. <laughs> uh, but he also ends up playing in Godzilla versus Destroya um, as yep. a different character, though, um, as as the main Super X three pilot. That's that's why I was thinking when I was watching this film is that could this guy be maybe possibly the same person in a couple movies later uh, for, or just a different character for years i thought it was the same guy because when in destroya when uh general aso or again as i like to call him general asshole um <laughs> is talking about super x3 the first time in that movie he goes it'll it's piloted by one of our best pilots and then you know he comes in and then he lifts up his head and it's Masahiro uh, Takashima. And I thought, okay, yeah, it's the same guy from Mechagodzilla, except now he's on Super X3. But he plays a different character, which is kind of strange because how General Aso talks about it in that movie, it's like, because it's the same actor. Yeah. I thought, okay, this is a continuation from this film. But apparently it's not. So I don't know. I probably should watch the Japanese version of that film because it might be worded differently. Because um, I've never seen the Japanese version of a majority of these Heisei films. So I don't know if the dialogue. I, mean, I haven't either. So. But 
Yeah. The miniature work here, though, is some of the best, I think, since the return of Godzilla. And it's amazingly detailed. And in terms of its size, it's more vast. I think I think it's much more deep. I think it's much more detailed uh, than the previous uh, film, especially the the final battle. Whereas in Godzilla vs. Mothra there, when they're in Yokohama, there's just a lot of uh, space within there that they could have added more buildings mm-hmm. in the background there. But it was just maybe like a few skyscrapers here and there, maybe a little bit of buildings there as well. And that was, that was completely it. There was really nothing else uh, added. Well, and it's modeled those, those exact areas though, too. So it may not necessarily be the fault, but granted, maybe... To some extent, it is because you're working on a budget. Um, and I'm going to still echo what I said in our King Ghidorah and Mothra discussion that those ending battle sets are still, in my opinion, pretty impressive. They are still fun to look at, and they are some of the best miniature sets in those respective films. But this movie, I think, uh, is is a little bit better with its miniature work because I think we get slightly bigger sets and more of these bigger sets with bigger miniatures. Um, like, well, not just bigger, but also more. So Yeah, because the final battle in this film, uh, you get uh, several lar- more larger buildings than you do in the previous two films for the final battle. Um, but on top of that too, like for example, there are a couple moments when Rodan makes landfall and there are a couple impressive destruction scenes there. They're pretty quick, but they're still impressive because they still had to build the sets to be destroyed. And um, I really do like the work here and i do think it's the best work we've seen since the return of godzilla um because we get more of those sets and i like the fact that when the buildings are destroyed they look more detailed than what they have in the last two movies because in the last couple of films when most of those buildings have been destroyed they looked more hollow um Mm -hmm. than they have here so um I just really like the miniature work that we get here. I think it's a, a little bit of a step up from the previous two films, quite frankly. Yeah, and I would say. Uh, actually, from compared to Bailane as well. Bailane had a couple of nice sets, but I still think the work here is maybe just a little bit better. Uh, yeah, and I would say uh, in between those films and this film, I would say at this point, um, I would say the Gazelle vs. Mothra set was probably at least um, the least um, or the the worst sort of setting. I'm not sure how to exactly word this, but you kind of know what I'm getting at uh, with this. Um, I would say maybe like Impressive. not the most not the most precise or the most realistic. They uh, the settings, the sets for those seemed a little bit too generic. Um, they seem to be a little bit um, repeated uh, in certain areas. And then, like I mentioned earlier, that the final battle set, it was just lacking with a lot of 
uh, other set pieces and miniatures? Um, I will disagree with you. I think it's Godzilla versus Mothra is better than King Ghidorah. Um, you could say the ending set of King Ghidorah is maybe a little bit more impressive than Mothra. Um, but in Godzilla versus King Ghidorah, you had more Godzilla scenes set in the countryside than you do in Godzilla versus Mothra. Um, not to mention, uh, as well, you had a pretty impressive uh, water slash underwater battle in the middle of the film with you know that model boat uh, uh, that was carrying Mothra's egg back to Japan. Um, I, I think Godzilla vs. Mothra is, is a little bit of a step up from King Ghidorah. Oh, we can agree to disagree. <laughs> well, you're wrong. <laughs> no, you're wrong. <laughs> uh, I can't believe we haven't discussed this yet. Um, what do you think of Mecha Gods? What do you think of really the kaiju designs here? I mean, Godzilla really hasn't changed much, but what do you think of Mecha Godzilla, Rodan, and Baby Godzilla here? You know, I was just thinking about jump jumping into this um, when we were when you were talking a little bit about the the whole set pieces. Um, as far as Mecha Godzilla, I think it's a much better representation of how like a giant robot would move and all that granted the the original mecha godzilla um the way how that was the the movement for that uh version of mecha godzilla worked out pretty damn well for that one and uh the way with this version of mecha godzilla i think it worked out the way how uh the way how this uh suit was built for it um I, I really liked the way how it moved uh, when it was facing uh, Fire Rodan in there, just like just the robotic way how it like uh, moved very smoothly, like with the way with the head just tracking Rodan and the uh, the torso and everything. Um, although it had some, uh, I would say I wouldn't say some. I would say quite a bit of limited movement when there was an actual person uh, put into that suit. Um, so the des- the other than that, the design of this Mechagodzilla, I really like pretty well, and I think a lot of people do too. Um, the design of Rodan, it seemed like they're going with a more of a natural um what was, what was the uh the uh the dinosaur name for this uh, no not Godzilla source i'm talking about rodan oh they called it radon because that's the pteranodon yeah the pteranodon they're going it seemed to be going more of a dinosaur-esque um version of rodan in here whereas in uh, the other, stu- um, the original Rodan, they didn't really have much of a dinosaur story. Maybe, I would say just a little bit of it, uh, um, but it seemed like they're going with a more of a natural dinosaur uh, background with Rodan. I mean, uh, don't get me wrong, I really like the design of this Rodan. It just seemed um, a little bit too slim and a little bit 
too dinosaur-esque, uh, whereas the original Rodan didn't quite look like that in the other iterations of Rodan, the Showa era. And then, of course, with the most recent version of Rodan in the upcoming Godzilla movie uh, is falling more in line with the Showa era. But, um, but yeah, I can uh, understand with the backstory. Trying to get more of a dinosaur type of a background with all these monsters with the radiation here and there. Um, it's, I don't know my initial feeling of making Rodan as a more of a natural dinosaur in the Heisei era. I'm just, um, it's it's a little bit of a new type of story with Rodan that I probably would have to think more on. Mm-hmm. And uh, as far as uh, Baby Godzilla, I I like how they didn't give it that Minya design with this one, but also they didn't have any. Not, not a whole lot of children in this. They do had some, but they were just in there briefly, but they didn't have any children like interacting with baby Godzilla throughout the entire film. They're just it's just a quick moment where they sing. Yeah. Which which that sort of subplot within this movie I really like. And it, and it didn't introduce any annoying kids <laughs> within this. It it just this movie's focus more on the main plot uh, of the movie and it just dabbled into uh, the baby Godzilla and some of the subplots surrounding it uh, at appropriate times which I think it fit this film really well but as far as the design of the baby Godzilla um, like I said at least it wasn't the the minia design I think it suits the whole Heisei era uh, more, and I think it's a more of a natural look and feel for a Godzilla when it was uh, being born and how it looked and everything. Yeah, I'll just dive right into Baby Godzilla. Um, I think people are too harsh on Minya. I mean, I'm not his biggest fan, but I I think people are too harsh on Minya. But I do love Baby Godzilla. I love the design. And like you said, it seems to be more natural because it is a Godzillasaurus. Um, I love it. I mean, it's it's sort of cutesy, but at the same time, it's not overly cutesy. Um, The thing that I love most about Baby Godzilla is the actor Ryu Hurricane expressing baby baby Godzilla reminds me of one of my cats Remington in that he's a very shy skittish creature but when he gets to but when he's around the individual that he loves the most and in Remington's case, it's me. He's very comfortable and loving. And Baby Godzilla is very similar 
in this movie. He's very shy, very skittish, especially when he's by himself. But when Azusa, his the, the, the individual who has been imprinted on him as being his mother, when she's around, he's more calm. He's more comfortable. And I love how that's sort of a very natural feel to this kaiju it very and that to me is one of the many intricate things that is done so well in this movie to make you feel very emotional in this movie and i'm not necessarily saying like crying emotional because when people say when you get emotional they i people generally think like you get you know you're bawling your eyes out or you are like overreacting that's not what i'm necessarily saying here but it makes you connect to this character it makes you you become more engaged and you become more sympathetic to the character and baby godzilla is portrayed very well here uh by mr hurricane kind of weird to say that but <laughs> name um <laughs> um as far as rodan goes um it's too bad that the marionette is a little stiff and i yeah when i watched the movie i thought it would was stiffer um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that's that's one thing I forgot to mention about. It's not as bad as what I thought. In fact, when I think about it, I think the the Mothra and Batra marionettes were actually stiffer. I would say the Batra yeah. one is probably the stiffest. Yeah, one the Batra one I would say is the worst out of the three. Um, but this one isn't too bad. It's still unfortunately too stiff uh very limited in movement there you yes go. and but again like i was talking about earlier one of the great things about this marionette is that the eyes do move it's not just when they have some of the close-ups with the hand puppet uh but it's even the marionette itself the eyes do blink so that's one of the things i love about this marionette as far as the design goes i really do enjoy it um it I mean, there's not much you can change, but I do like the fact that he's more slender. He's more athletic. Like he's kind of like a male athlete. He's, he's wider in the shoulders. And then as you come down further, the torso, he's slender. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Showa era Rodan with the exception of the, of the very first Rodan movie always seemed more either just straight or kind of even paunchy to some extent. Uh, I always thought the design sort of got worse with Rodan as the Showa era progressed. Uh, here he definitely looks more aerodynamic and athletic. Um, I like the, the three crest horns. I like the fact to his face is definitely more uh, pteranodon or, or, or prehistoric reptile-esque. Again, it's the first time I thought he's really looked good since his first film. He's looked okay in, in other films like Ghidorah and Monster Zero and Destroy Monsters, but I thought his appearance took a step down with those successive films in the Showa era. Um, Mechagodzilla, uh, I agree with people who say that it's not as sinister looking as the original Mechagodzilla, and I agree with that. Uh, the, the original Mechagodzilla definitely looks very aggressive uh, because of how it's built with the jagged edges and just kind of how it looks like it's got a furrowing brow. This one, though, definitely looks more like a robot. And, of course, the Heisei era is trying to be a little bit more, quote, grounded in reality, unquote. So, uh, of course, it's not going to 
look more aggressive. But there's something to be said, though, too, about more of the roundedness of this particular Mechagodzilla. I think in terms of movement, it looks better. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not to say the original Mechagodzilla didn't. It did. But I like the fact like your knee joints, your elbow joints, your shoulder joints, they're ball and socket, which makes more sense because it's smoother movement and it will allow you better uh, range of motion uh, during combat. And one of the things I love about this particular Mechagodzilla is like if it's turning, the head turns first and then the rest of the body rotates. Yeah. Um, as I, like, I was mentioning about earlier, yeah. I like that aspect of this particular Mecha Godzilla. It just it seems more robotic um, in its execution. So I mean, by and large, I like uh, the 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 look of all three kaiju in this film. And like I said, Godzilla hasn't changed. There's been small tweaks, but not mm-hmm. enough to really comment on. Godzilla still looks good. Yeah. But but uh, what what do you think of the uh, the visual effects of the film? To me, I think they really improved uh, on the visual effects on this far better than um, I would say uh, Godzilla vs King Ghidorah. Far better than that film, and I would say that they improved even more from the previous uh, film uh, as far as visual effects go. There, there's to me at least there are some instances where you can definitely see some of like the uh, oh the green screen uh, areas where where they were cutting out. Yeah, it's it's not too terrible. And as far as the 3D animation when they were showing uh, from like the beginning and then like the Gruda stuff and all that, that's far improved compared to uh, the other Heisei. Uh, films particularly far better than Ghidorah. I always go go back to that one. But uh, to me, I think uh, the visual effects in this film have improved much better. Yeah, the only other film I think out of the, the Heisei films from King Ghidorah through Destroya, the only other film that I think could match, if not exceed, the effects of this movie might be Destroya. Again, I haven't seen that film since December, and I'm not going to make any... I, I remember the effects being good in that one uh, as well. Again, kind of like the score... I'm not going to make any sort of definitive conclusions until we get to that film. And then I'm like, okay, now that I've seen it and I, it's fresher in my mind, what do I think about it? Um, but yeah, I, I, I think definitely the visual effects in this film uh, have been the best since Biolane. That one had more practical effects and computer effects. But um, when you look at the computer effects, yes, the computer effects here were better than that film. Um, but the miniature work, I think, of Bailane was better than here. So it depends on what you're talking about when it comes to that film. Um, but I think, yeah, I mean, visual effects-wise, it still holds up really well. Uh, it's You can tell in certain spots that mm-hmm. there are composite shots. Did you watch the Blu-ray version of this? Oh, yeah, I have that one in the... Uh... I did, too. And similar to with Return of Godzilla, the problem with some of these older films 
that were not shot in high def, when you transfer them into high def, some of the scenes start to show. I remember uh, seeing the VHS and DVD versions of this film, and same thing with Return of Godzilla. Um, you don't notice some of those shots as easily uh, as you do in the high def mode. But even then, in the high def mode, exclusively for this film, they were not as bad as some other Godzilla films that have been transferred into high def, which is still a testament to the effects work of the time and that they weren't so cheap or shoddy or whatever word you want to use to the point to where when they got transferred into high def, they weren't quite as obvious uh, in those composite shots. Yeah, it's like uh, when watching the film in Blu-ray, but on a 4k tv um to me i didn't i i would still say even with those two formats that the visual effects were still much better compared to some of the other uh films that you probably have discussed but uh i would also reiterate or mention that one of the things that i might have a gripe about uh, with one of the other effects is that when Godzilla was searching for baby Godzilla and when he was up to that uh, one particular building in Kyoto and he uh, uh, shoots out his atomic ray, his atomic ray and that one certain angle seemed to be like it was made in, uh, was it uh, Adobe or uh, Adobe Flash or at the time, I probably would say Macromedia Flash or in uh, Photoshop animation or something like that. It 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 wasn't the best looking um, atomic ray visual effect uh, the way that it was made in that certain angle when Godzilla was shooting it out. Um, if you go back and watch that particular scene of that film, you can probably uh, see my reason <laughs> to that one. But other other than that, um, visual effect, uh, I would say all of them look pretty damn good for what I was watching on a Blu-ray on a 4K TV. Yeah. Um- I mean, not every special effect, you know, is is perfect or anything like that, um, even in this film. But at the same time, uh, I will say the effects all around, both practical and digital effects in this movie still hold up like 20, nearly 26 years later. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's a testament. And, and I remember saying, though, too, when we discussed Godzilla versus Mothra here, you know, some odd weeks ago, that um, the effects in that movie uh, were definitely pretty good, too. Again, like I said, there weren't as many digital effects there or anything because a lot were, uh, you know, definitely um, a, a, a lot were more practical than digital. But, um, you know, I thought they held up relatively well still. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, and, and even here, most of the 
um, digital effect shots here are mostly the beams. Um, so of course, a lot of times you can get away with them being more brightly colored and maybe more quote unquote cartoony looking. Um, but still, you know, there's still some, um, uh, sort of a compositor, for lack of a better term, digital effects or drawn effects when you're talking about films from like the 60s and 70s that don't quite hold up as well over time. Um, a lot of these, including, you know, going back to films like Return of Godzilla, even some of the f- digital effects in King Ghidorah will still last relatively well. They will still kind of last uh you know, the test of time. And um, here, though, I think most of the effects are, are, are half a step to a full step above of what we've seen in the last two films uh, from top to bottom. And, um, you know, uh, I, I think they're going to hold up a little bit better mm-hmm. uh, for the most part. But yeah, I, I think they're pretty good. I mean, some of the, the practicals definitely, I mean, aren't going to necessarily hold up, but that's just kind of how they did things. And also, um, you know, a sign of the times, so to speak as well, but they're still pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, um, how about, how about the, uh, the story? I think we might've mentioned about it a little bit as far as the seriousness, <laughs> of the tone yeah yeah well, i think the story is really good it's very straightforward there's more action in this film than most of the other godzilla movies of the time again this film and destroy seem to be sort of competing with each other on various levels including uh, i think in terms of the amount of action that you see um, because there are you know four or five relatively decent action sequences um in this film you get two fights uh, of godzilla with mecha godzilla you get a rodan versus mecha godzilla fight you get a godzilla versus rodan fight you get rodan coming in taking the container um sort of going along with the first godzilla versus mecha godzilla fight you get kind of an extension of that as he's going into kyoto not a ton happens but there's still explosions and miniatures being destroyed so i guess you could even go along with that the movie the movie is like an hour and 45 minutes in length Mm -hmm. but because there's a lot of action and because it's written so well with various degrees of emotions and that in turn makes it more engaging of of a viewing as well it seems like it's a shorter movie than what it actually is. Yeah. And also the one thing that I've noticed too, I think that this was one of the, uh, the I would say the first film in the Heisei um, series where the humans side of the story didn't really have a, an antagonist uh, human that's okay. <laughs> uh, with within the the human side of the story, which which to me I think uh, makes it better though, because then you can uh, focus more on what's going on with the monsters, but as well as balancing out with uh, the other human characters that are uh, you know the main characters of the story as well. So you don't have um, kind of like this uh triangle 
type of uh, uh, story for the Godzilla films. Uh, to me, I think you have two balancing things, you know, keeping things in check instead of having another one in there that could potentially unbalance things out. Yeah, and I mean, not every film has to have some sort of human uh, antagonist. I know we get um, one, if not a couple, in Space Godzilla, um, but um, we'll talk about that when we get there. But um, yeah, the story more or less centers around baby Godzilla because baby Godzilla is the reason why Godzilla showing up. Baby Godzilla is also the reason why Rodan shows up and baby Godzilla is also used by G force to lure Godzilla so they can bring Mecha Godzilla in to destroy it. So, mm-hmm. you know, baby Godzilla is sort of the, the MacGuffin of this film. And um, I like how you put that. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's true. That's that's what it's called. He's the MacGuffin. Uh, you know, he, he's basically sort of the the, for lack of a better word, uh, tool used to kind of help move the story forward. Because without him, I mean, you could you don't have much of a story and it's pretty mm-hmm. simple and straightforward, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with simplicity, Yeah, uh, but it's done so well that you kind of forget how simple it is really. And again, a lot of that's due to how well it's written with the various <clears throat> degrees of emotion that are brought in. And I just have to say, since this is like the second or third time I've mentioned this during our discussion, I will argue, I think out of at least all the Toho produced Godzilla films, I think this film probably has the widest array of emotions running through it than your average Godzilla film, uh, which really tells you again that if you really take the time to construct a story, uh, you know, I'm not saying that this makes it better, but I'm just saying that if you took the time and really thought through a story, you can make these things, I guess, again, for lack of a better term, more deep than your typical, you know, Godzilla fights another giant monster. And basically the only emotions you have are excitement, um, you know, and excitement. (laughs) That's really about it. Well, also, I think it it really helped without having a, a human antagonist being thrown into the mix which uh, to me, I think it would have just complicated things a little bit more and maybe have muddled the story a bit more. It depends just, uh, how, how it was written. Yeah. But I think the way that it was written for this movie, I think it, it would, um, the antagonist wouldn't have a human antagonist wouldn't have fit within this story, which to me, I think it, the way it made it a whole lot better and just balance things out a little bit more. Yeah. Well, and since we're talking about a a potential character, let's just talk about acting. Um, I think the acting by and large is good. It's not exceptional uh, because there are a couple moments I would argue like Santa Claus technician uh, (laughs) in this movie, who's basically the head scientist of the mega Godzilla project. Part of it is the dubbing. Let's just say this. 
a lot of people, uh, you know, poop on the Heisei series for the bad dubbing, and I'm not necessarily disagreeing, but at the same time, I still don't think the, the, the dubbing is as bad as people claim it is. But his dubbing is not that great, but at the same time, his acting doesn't help either. So I would argue he's sort of one of the the downer characters as far as acting in this film. But otherwise, everybody else is either good to great in this film, I think. And to be even more specific, Mickey Sagusa, I think her role here is one of the best she's had. Mm-hmm. And sure, she's probably best utilized in Bialane, but her role here and... Again, Destroya, I think, is really some of the best that the character has ever been involved with because when she's recruited to be part of the G Crusher um, uh, uh, campaign, you can just tell the look on her face when she's initially recruited because she didn't want to be a part of it. She's just like, I don't want to be a part of this. And then during the actual battle in which Godzilla's down and they're ready to fire the crusher to destroy that second brain and she puts on the goggles to locate it, you know, she has a moment where she locates it, then she closes her eyes and puts up the goggles and is like, I don't want to do it. And then General Aso gets on the mic on the mic and says do exactly as you're told her role here she has more of a role whereas in the last movie she basically was uh just there didn't really have anything to do right and kinkadora she had more lines than in mothra but even then she really didn't do yeah it. she she didn't i think she didn't really have much of a role in in those two movies since, yeah. since her debut but in this yeah, one she, she had yeah she had she had much of a better slash bigger role but then uh just the kind of, she's even in like mothra and king Ghidorah. yeah she, yeah she's just there yeah and just to add on to your uh talking points as far as the acting for Godzilla first Mecha Godzilla two, uh, in my opinion, as far as the Heisei series goes, to me, I would say that the acting for this film is probably one of the best. I would say maybe in the top three or the top two um, movies as far as the, the acting goes. People and the people that have. Uh, been a part of this film have been exceptional of course there's some quirky people that may not have been the best fit for certain roles here and there but as far as this movie goes i would say the acting the human acting for this one is to me one of the top three or two in the heisei series yeah, I mean, I think the acting in The Return of Godzilla, the Japanese cut, is really good. Um, Bailane is good as well. Destroya, Destroya is good as well. So, yeah, I mean, there are four films in this, um, in this era that I think the acting is, like, good to great almost from top to bottom and of course there are exceptions to that like i said santa claus technician in this movie uh i like calling him that just because again it's funny uh he i I would say he's the one character that shows up 
not often, but enough to where he's considered sort of a, um, uh, he's a minor character. I just get brain farts anymore when it comes to words. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, like he's in the movie enough to where his acting ability does on some level, even if it's a small amount, affect the film. But one of the unintentionally funny moments of this film involves him where I think it's after the first fight and Mechagodzilla's getting repaired and he is talking to, I think, one of like the other uh, military guys and he goes, if we attach this thing over there, then we can attach that thing over there and then, and then the film cuts. Are, are you I talking go, about oh. that that older white professor looking? Yeah, dude? yeah. And I'm like, you're a scientist. You're supposed to have a PhD. You're supposed to be a genius, and you're using the vaguest of language. That's like me telling you that thing up above you there should be moved behind that thing over there. That thing sitting on that thing over there should be moved to that thing over there. It's just like, and then and then one of the other things too is that he sort of had a bland or a monotone expression on his. Uh, right character throughout the entire movie which to me well and even his the way that he talks too i'm not i think he might have talked a little bit in japanese in some of the areas of the film but then uh he i think but then i think in throughout the most of the film where he was uh in it he was talking in english there well and you're talking about his bland expression yeah there are two moments in this movie that really express this. The first moment that I can think of anyways comes when Aoki is transferred to being in uh, in charge of parking and he's been messing around with Garuda and he's realizing, oh, like we can use Garuda to attach to Mechagodzilla, make it super Mechagodzilla. It'll be more powerful. When Santa Claus guy gets in his car and is ready to leave and Aoki is turning you know the 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 parking platform he doesn't let him out because he needs to talk to the head technician of the mechagodzilla project to convince him to use garuda on mechagodzilla and the scientist realizes hey i missed my outlet here and he goes hey hey stop this damn thing like he sort of shows a little bit of an expression but it's not enough to be convincing and then very shortly after that when he shows this scientist what the garuda could do he goes you know we can get by with only minimal changes to attach garuda to mechagodzilla the scientist then looks up at aoki and he goes indeed this would make it possible and that's it just you know the drive yeah. of expressions and you could definitely tell that the guy wasn't really much of an actor to begin with. Right. Got custom my keyboard here. You know, just by looking at that hat with the uh, the word mark there, it, it sort of looks like a horn. <laughs> uh, well, and speaking of funny moments, I always thought another unintentionally funny moment uh, comes, and this is one that you and I have poked fun of in the past, where in the final battle when Godzilla makes landfall, the head pilot of Mechagodzilla 
slowly moves his hand to the control stick. And you and I always chuckle at that because we're like, you're inside Mechagodzilla. Godzilla can't see you. It's not like you're trying to be a gunslinger and, you know, trying to make sure the other guy doesn't see your hand grabbing for your gun. It's like you're inside. You could just grab it like that and Godzilla wouldn't know what you were doing. Yeah. But yeah. Sorry for those who are listening to the audience because I was making the move. I was just, you know, dead face and slowly reaching my hand towards the imaginary control stick. Of my I don't know if really anyone saw because the camera was focused on me <laughs> rather than you there. So <laughs> way to go, YouTube. <laughs> I still even today get a chuckle out of that moment just because, first of all, like, the camera didn't need to be focused on him anyways. Second of all, he didn't need to react so slowly. It's just, this is not some sort of showdown. And Maybe just to add a little bit of character to the film, that could be the case. Yeah. And I'd also argue that Rotoro Fukuda, who played Mechagodzilla in this film, and who knows, maybe he wasn't in the suit during some of these scenes, but I would argue he had perhaps one of the most dangerous moments of being in a Godzilla suit uh, when towards the end of the final battle, all the fire and explosions surround him and even temporarily temporarily envelop him. Uh, like well, and said, even the sparks too. Well, yeah. Well, and I wonder though too, there could have been a couple of moments there where the suit maybe was empty and it's quite possible. Uh, but I really... I'm just like, I looked at that, and for the first time ever, I thought, you know, we're always talking about Nakajima and Satsuma, you know, getting burnt and stuff like that because they have little, like, firecracker-like deals on the suit to uh, simulate explosions, like missiles hitting the suit and all that. But I'm like, these are actual, like, explosions with major fire. Yeah. (laughs) Out here, I'm like, that's got to be hot. Those are bigger explosions too. They're not just firecrackers. These are like stuff to where if you aren't careful, you probably could blow off your foot. <laughs> I or mean, get uh, second or third degree burns. Yeah, and I just, I'm just like, that looks dangerous. <laughs> I just like for the first time, I'm I started actually thinking about the suit actor here in this particular moment of the movie. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there there were some instances where I saw in several scenes where there was no actor in the suit, of course. Yeah, Particularly I, when it comes to uh, throwing Mechagodzilla in the air and then, yeah, something That like was that. a great moment, though. I mean, that was just great seeing Godzilla, like, more or less put him in a headlock and then toss him. I still, that's one of my favorite moments of this film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and I you can tell too, like during the the final final explosion of Mechagodzilla that decommissions him for the rest of this film, you can tell the the suit is empty. Oh yeah, which is good considering. I mean, kaboom! I mean, you talk about explosions. That was an explosion. Oh yeah. So, um, is there is there anything else? That we haven't the, touched on. I get all the points that I wanted to get to. There's a lot we could talk about. I mean, if you can't tell by now, I am a fan of this movie, and I've said it before on many episodes in the past uh, of this podcast. But 
yeah, I do like this movie. Uh, I'll go in the final thoughts first because you've been doing it quite a bit lately. Um, Fine by so, me! So here I go. Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 2 is, without a doubt, one of the better produced Toho Godzilla movies. The writing is incredibly solid, the acting is by and large competent, the action is intense, and the wide array of emotions on display make this one of the more engaging Godzilla experiences. The tone is more intense than the two, uh, or even three, films that precede it. There is an air that Japan has had enough of Godzilla, and they are pulling out all the stops to kill him. The idea of taking out his second brain and, and continuing to pelt him with beam after beam as he struggles to get up and fight back is intense and a struggle to watch as our beloved kaiju fights to stay alive. While not a lot of blood is shed, there is no doubt more would have been if Tanaka and Toho were wanting to aim this at a more mature audience. It's still very brutal. Ifukube's score here is one of my favorites of his. I am a fan of marches and he provides plenty here. More importantly, he provides a fair amount of newer material and recycles very little from previous films, something that can't be said of his previous two scores. He's more versatile here as well due to the film's plethora of emotions. It forces Ifukube to get out of his comfort zone, so to speak. The movie runs about 1 hour 45 minutes, and I have to say that the viewer doesn't feel it. Not only is there so much going on, but the writing is so good that we're more invested in this movie than usual. I couldn't believe how the movie flew when I sat down to watch it for this review. There are several fights sprinkled in throughout the movie, which makes it for an exciting viewing experience. This movie is one of my favorites out of the Toho-produced Godzilla movies, and I'm always shocked after each viewing why I don't keep it higher on my list of favorite Godzilla films. It's beautifully produced, incredibly entertaining, and one of the best Godzilla movies ever produced. High recommend, which of course means it's a buy. So for my final thoughts and overall review of Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 2, first off, far better than Ghidorah. <laughs> Just want to point yep. that out. Uh, what's that? It doesn't take much. Oh, yeah. It doesn't really take much. And I really like how uh, uh, they how they've written the story and the direction for uh, this film. It, it's it's a much more serious. There's now a whole lot of cheesy goofiness going on. But there's at least a few added in the certain right areas of the film and uh, I really like how the characters are portrayed uh, in this film is really dig uh, the not only the kaiju suits uh, but the ba uh, miniatures and the battles as well there's I think um, if I can remember it's probably the most amount of uh, battles in this film in the Heisei area as far as the combinations uh, goes where, where we see uh, two Godzilla versus uh, Mechagodzilla and we see uh, Godzilla uh, versus uh, Godzilla versus Rodan uh, Mechagodzilla versus Rodan and yeah it's to me I think it's probably the most amount of kaiju battles I can think of in the Heisei era. Um, 
the visual effects in this is so much better than uh, I would say in the past couple films. Um, it's it's just a really good film, probably one of the uh, better ones in the Heisei, if not probably one of the best, maybe in the uh, the top three uh, from, I would say, the top two to the top four there. Um, yeah, it's, it's just a really fun, um, I would say, action-packed movie that's literally just sort of gets straight to the point on what it's trying to do. Very fo- uh, very focused, not a whole lot of interference or uh, things getting in the way. Um, so, yeah, uh, Godzilla vs. Godzilla 2, for me, definite buy. All right, so with that, that means we have an episode uh, the 27th, which means another commentary, and this time it's for you to choose... Oh, boy. (laughs) So, let me see here. I'm going to do a screen share so you can see what we have. Make sure you don't have anything inappropriate up. (laughs) I I closed everything out. (laughs) Okay, so here we go. Let me know when you want to scroll. Uh, Oh, crap. Uh, Talk again here. Hello? (laughs) People listening to the audio version are like, did the did they just stop? It's like, no, <laughs> Jason's watching here. <laughs> I mean, looking here. The one that's uh, sort of catching my attention right now is Atragon. Atragon? Yeah. Well, see the whole list before you make your final decision, because there are 66 movies we still have. But uh, yeah, uh, scroll down here. Oh, we already did Yangri. Hold on, let me delete that. Oh man, Daimajin. I actually want to watch Daimajin again. Um. Since since we <laughs> mentioned about Garuda, there's I I keep forgetting that there's another movie called Garuda from Thailand. Yeah, dude, let's do that. You want to do Garuda? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> this that'll be an interesting one. Definitely will be. <laughs> All right, so. <laughs> April 27th, 1.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Probably more likely 1.45 is when we'll start. (laughs) That's what usually happens. We will do Garuda. And I tell you something, dude. Almost a month from that point, King of the Monsters. Oh, yeah. So we're like a month and a half-ish away from... uh, 
some goodies here. Which... Yeah, so so basically after the commentary, it'll be uh, the Godzilla for Space Godzilla episode. And then I'm probably guessing we will be doing uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters. Godzilla King of the Monsters. And then at that point... Um, that's going to be the last podcast we're going to do until you get here in the first part of July and we end up doing our G-Fest preview. And so, again, as a reminder for people, the reason why we aren't doing any more podcasts after we discuss King of the Monsters is because um, my folks are going to be here and my dad's going to help me rip out my basement and rebuild that. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be tough for me as it is just to go to the movies even one night and see the movie and then like a day or two after that to do a podcast to talk about. You and I are probably going to have to have a later podcast um, to discuss that movie like towards the early evenings or something like that uh, to discuss that film. But mm-hmm. I'm going to try my hardest. If I end up having any issues, I will contact you and I will let everybody know uh, on our Facebook page that um, I'm going to m- maybe have issues just even going to see the film. So I yeah, basically I really want to see it and I really want to discuss it too. So basically we've got at least two to three more episodes left until we are on a month hiatus until um, our pre G fest uh, episode in early July. Yeah. So uh, we'll end up discussing uh, basically kind of, again, you know, for those who are familiar, we just kind of go through what panels are offered. Uh, We kind of give everybody a rough idea more or less what days they happen and we kind of discuss which panels interest us um and which ones we hope to go and so um that's kind of basically what it is it's it's more or less just a podcast for those who are going to g-fest to get excited about it so that's more or less what it's about yeah and uh during uh for the past month or so i've actually been building a little a little splash page of the event for our website, which will also house like the uh, the live YouTube uh, stuff at the very top, and then as well as some little bit of social media things of what we'll be doing live, like through Instagram, uh, Twitter, and uh, Facebook as well, and then the list of guests, and then uh, a list of possible uh, panels and stuff that I'll probably be adding up soon as i get up over to your place there yeah so um and we'll discuss more about gfs once we get closer mm-hmm. to that but uh, i thought we did pretty well last year in terms of taking some video and snapshots i don't remember though how much of that stuff we uploaded i know <laughs> i think i think i've uploaded uh quite a few um and i know i want to try to uh start doing a little bit more of the Instagram stuff, especially with the more recent happenings I've been going on with uh, Facebook here with uh, a lot of people deciding to quit quit on it uh, here and there. So I'm thinking about trying to at least expand into some other opportunities, you know, with us starting out with YouTube, it's kind of a good, a good starting point. So uh, at least, try to get more into Instagram with them, at least having that uh, IGTV that was uh, uh, released 
right around the time when we were doing G Fest last year. So try to get in more in it, into that stuff. Yeah, and I would like to do uh, some live YouTube videos as well. Part of it, again, is going to depend on the internet connection um, at the uh, hotel. So yeah, and some people would be like, well, why don't you use your, your 4G? And the reason why I won't use my 4G is because my plan is not that large. And to try to mine. do, uh, you know, like a live video and all that, um, <laughs> That, that's that's gonna take a lot. So. Yeah, and plus plus with the hotel uh, internet or slash Wi-Fi, it's pretty notorious that it's sort of bad in a way, particularly when there's a lot of people there at the same time that they also use their stuff. So it can be <laughs> pretty slow and not quite as good as far as quality goes. Well, yeah, it's so weird. It's very inconsistent <laughs> because. Um, it's very inconsistent there sometimes it works other times it doesn't in some spots of the hotel it works other spots it doesn't a lot of it though too also depends on uh, how many other people are using it because obviously you know the more people you have on something like that you know the yeah the, the, the slower the speed uh becomes so yeah, even yeah. with the, the quote-unquote complimentary uh, internet that we usually get uh, with the convention deal, you remember that one year, I think it was our second or third year there, we were at like the, like in the, was it the second or the third highest part of the hotel building where we barely got <laughs> some internet or wireless internet? Yeah, it's just, it's been more passable in recent years, but it still could be better. Mm -hmm. Considering it's a four-star hotel and for how much money you dump into spending there each night, it's like, look, (laughs) you need a, your internet should be good enough to where I could stream Netflix without a problem. Well, and as well as trying to, uh, trying to keep maintenance on their elevators. I mean, with the amount of money that they get. This is one of my biggest gripes when it comes to the Crown Plaza Hotel there in Chicago is that it just seems like they never really bother trying to keep up with the elevator maintenance or just flat out just get some new elevators. Well, I mean, I don't know exactly the situation. My guess, though, is that, again, especially with something like G-Fest where the hotel is booked completely, you get enough people, you can fit, what, probably two or three times <laughs> worth of people and items on a single elevator, and you're doing that, and you got a hotel that's, what, 14 floors. It's always moving, always carrying pretty much to capacity once the convention definitely starts in, in every car. Um I'm sure, you know, all that and the moving up and down, like the only rest it gets is probably late at night. Yeah. You know, when everybody's sleeping. Um, I can see that definitely putting a lot of stress and wear and tear on an elevator, just even in a short period of time. Yeah. And it's just basically. I'm just they have stairs we can use. Yeah. But it's like uh, every year when we're at the convention, there's always maintenance to be had on at least one elevator there. I think this 
last G Fest, I think they had two elevators and maintenance there, which made things well, they, much more complicated. A little bit better because yeah, there was one or two this last G Fest that you know were out of commission, but they got on those relatively quickly. I think there have only been two G Fests where we've been there where one or two elevators were out that they never really got fixed in a timely manner. Otherwise, they've always been good about it. Yeah, but at least the the recent events, GFest events that we've been to, at least we've been re- relatively close to the main floor where we can just use the steps. Well, and there. some people are probably wondering, well, when you had those years where you were like on the 12th floor or whatever we were, like, did you guys use the stairs? And my answer to that is, Yes, we did. (laughs) Of course, it's harder to go up than it is to go down. But I tell you, though, going down, you get dizzy after a while. Going up, you get a little dizzy, too, but not as Well, just going around that short, like the short, like, stairwell there, it gets pretty dizzy after a while. Well, yeah, going down, though, you get more dizzy because you're going faster. But when you're going up, because you're using more energy, and as a result, you're going slower, more slowly... It, you don't get quite as dizzy. Mm-hmm. I mean, just even going down three or four uh, stories, you get dizzy sometimes. Oh, yeah, if you're definitely. Because I like to skip steps if I'm going down sometimes. <laughs> but I'm more fit now than I have in the last couple of years. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I need a. I need to get into that <laughs> too. I've, I've, I've actually been looking at some, uh, like gym memberships here recently. Stair stepper because you're gonna need it. <laughs> That's what's yeah, gonna if you prime if, stairs. Yeah, if uh, one one of the gyms I decide to go with has a um, like one of those step type of machines or something like that. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people are tired of us uh, talking about stairs at a hotel. So we'll just end here. (laughs) Uh, Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Again, April 27th is when we have another commentary. That is Thailand's Garuda. I forget what year it was made. I think it was in the mid-2000s, somewhere around there. Early to mid-2000s. I forget exactly. But yeah, it's, it's a hoot. (laughs) <laughs> quite the hoot quite the hoot nanny uh, so we're gonna have fun with that so uh come join us even if you don't have the movie it's gonna be fun so thank you so much for listening please rate review and subscribe to us and uh we'll see you here in a couple of weeks yes so just subscribe to us on itunes Google Play Music, and as well as the uh, hit the subscribe button down below and uh, hit that notification <laughs> bell to get the uh, the latest updates uh, from our YouTube channel. So, uh, yeah, be on the lookout for April 27th as we commentate Garuda. See you around, folks. Yeah.